Hi, I'm Margie Haber. I've been an acting coach for 30 years, helping actors find their personal power and learn to create. Let's face it, all of us need to let go of control, get rid of the straitjacket we call our comfort zone, and remove the walls that prevent us from being vulnerable. It's all about hope. So let's begin this journey together and give ourselves permission to fuck your comfort zone. Hi, darling. Hello, hello. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy today. One would wonder why I'm so happy today. Well, I'll tell my audience because I get to talk and have a conversation with one of the most incredible human beings I know. That's a lot because I know a lot of human beings and that are incredible. But you, Charles Porter, Charles F. Porter, <laughs> have really taken, and you're my close, very close friend, taken a great, inspiring journey through your life. And considering that this podcast is about that, it's about, it connects to my book, which is, for those who don't know, is called Fuck Your Comfort Zone. It also is about, I know, it's also about becoming the lead in your own life, your risk to be seen. And you, my darling, has done, have done that. And I just wanted to introduce you a little bit to the audience, just giving you a little bit of background. And then we'll go on just that you, uh, you from a, a football player star at Duke University and also became an actor. And by the way, Without a Trace, which I know you guest starred on, and I just, because I did my research, my, my student, Eric Close, was a series regular on that. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, a couple of my seasons with him as well. He was great. Nice guy. Yeah, isn't that funny? He actually, he actually enjoyed uh, rehearsing, even though he had been on the show, you know, what did it go, like 15 years? I don't know how long it went, but he, he was a, uh, a true professional. Yes. And I had him when he was a young boy. <laughs> he was very young. He just booked that show when I was working with him. Wow. So you also are a model. You've been an amazing producer, an author of some incredible poetry. Yes. And certified trainer and personal coach, and most important, I think, a father of two of the most adorable children mm. you'd ever want to see. So wow. you are fully committed, yeah, you're fully committed to being the best person you can be. And so before we go through all this stuff, I thought, you know what, I would love to hear from your voice how you and I met, because I think it's a great story. It's a great story. So maybe you could start with that. <laughs> It's it's just I'll just start by saying wow it's it's interesting to hear <clears throat> you know your resume of life read out loud you know and then you you fully kind of because people like us who are go getters and such we sometimes don't stop to to take in what we've accomplished it's just like what's next what's next and when you hear that type of thing out loud um, you know it's I take pause and I'm I'm truly grateful and. Um, so anyway, so before I came out upon my graduation uh, at Duke University, um, you know, about a month, two months leading out to graduation, I was just randomly approached a number of times by friends and also just people who were, hey, man, have you ever thought about acting or modeling? And, you know, when I played football, as you said, I'm 6'3", I was 285 pounds my senior season, defensive end. And I kept, I would always chuckle and say, yeah, I, I, yeah, what would I do in acting? Be, you know, security guard number one, security guard number two. <laughs> so, you know, after this season and into, um, after post-surgery, I had back surgery right after my last season. Um, I said, you know what? 
if one more person, you know, comes up to me and says this thing, I'm, it's obviously, I always was a person who followed signs, followed my heart and my intuition. And, you know, eventually a friend of mine's mother, about a week out before graduation came up to me, it was probably less than that, three days because she was on campus. She came up to me and said, Charles, you're such a good looking guy. You ever think about acting or anything? I say, no, you know what? I haven't. But um, I said to myself, if so, one more person comes and says that to me, <laughs> I'm out. And you're that person. So from here on out, we'll always remember you as being responsible for my you know, success in Hollywood. And she's, uh, she's leaned on that um, ever since. I've been out here for 20 years. <laughs> we have a joke about that all the time. So... <laughs> Uh, my mother being the supportive mother that she is, um, you know, when I told her that I was going to go to Hollywood after graduation, you know, she got right to work and did her research. And my mom is the type of person who finds the best of the best. And um, that'll come into play later on in the conversation, I'm sure, as we as we progress. But yes. the first thing, my dad thought I was crazy. He's a military man. And, you know, he was 25 years in the Air Force and he thought this was going to be a wasted education at Duke University to go He'd rather me have been a mailman getting a check and a gold watch for th- after 30 years to do this. And I tell you, so I needed all my mom's support, and she gave it to me. And she, the, the few things that she mentioned were uh, some of the hotels, um, you know, and also the acting classes. Because my mom loves hotels. She loves dining by a hotel pool. And she's serious about her acting classes when it comes to her son getting the best. And if I'm lying, I'm frying. The book she told me to read was How to Get the Part Without Falling Apart and Find Margie Haver. And that I did. That I did. I tell you, it wasn't, I wasn't in town for, you know, two weeks before I was set up with the, um, the uh, interview process or the, uh, what do they call it? The, when orientation. Your, yes, orientation. So I was front row. First time I ever been front row in a class. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I was serious about this thing now. And I sat front row and, you know, I'm 26'3", somewhat of a good looking guy. And um, how old were you? I was 22 years old, 22 years old. Came on October. It was October of 2002. Um, Fresh off of graduation and uh, baby faced and no experience. And uh, I gave my spiel, you know, and, you know, Margie uh, had a teenage boy at the time, Michael. And she put two and two together and said, okay, well, this here's this guy, he's new in town. He's gonna need some acting classes because he's not good. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I have a 13-year-old son, and you know, I forgive me if I'm if I'm if I'm saying the wrong thing, but uh, you weren't really great in sports, or at least coaching in sports. You wanted to have well, some- I was <clears throat> I was a mother and I needed yeah. a male, I need a man because he's because I'm gay and right. brought up by He's brought up by so many women. I thought, yeah. what an opportunity for Michael to be with a man and have have a an influence like that. And that was genius. And that's and good for you for taking the initiative. Because as a as a man, um, and I don't have sons, but as a man, I know that my father is, has been, and even after his passing, still is a huge influence in my life. How as to being a man and things that men go through that you know women may not have to experience or go through or be looked to to experience so good on you for doing that so anyway the deal was um to work with mark with michael uh maybe on a couple of basketball sessions this and that or what what have you and um and i get a private class and of course <laughs> my mom couldn't believe it we couldn't have been happier <laughs> and, and here we are you know 
uh, I'm working with Michael. I'm going over and, you know, we're developing this friendship. I'm in a marketing job at, the, at that point working for um, Starcom LA. And they were that we had the we had a Disney account, so we had Pirates of the Caribbean. We were selling, um, uh, you know, uh, commercial time to the to the all the networks or buying, sorry, buying. So ESPN, NBC, CBS, they would all take us out to eat and all the basketball games, so that we would buy time from them to put our Pirates of the Caribbean uh, uh, trailers on their on the network. And we were we were flying high because it was like you know one of the biggest franchises in the game. So I would have these tickets. I would take Michael to games. Our relationship would grow. And, you know, the day I got the job, I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, I didn't come out here to work. I came out here to act. And that was, you, you know, when you got to be careful what you say. You actually speak things into existence. Because even though I thought I was, it was smart for me just to focus on acting and not have anything else going, well, if you don't have anything going in acting either, you're not eating. So yeah. I, did, I did this little thing on ESPN. I quit my job in six months, just as I said, and I came back to, you know, an apartment with no job and no acting gigs. And uh, Marty took me in and I ended up, we ended up being roommates for six months. Living with, living with Mar- I mean, the person that my mom said to find actually put a roof and food on my table and a roof over my head and encouragement. I mean, you know, they say it's already written. You know, they say there's no mistakes. But I mean, you know, if, if this isn't proof of that, I don't know what is. So that was a roommate with Margie, and and she uh, <laughs> one of the best stories I have of that, right? So Margie's house is beautiful, you know, Beverly Hills, pool, this, that, and the other thing. You know, I'm a 22 year old guy coming out to LA, no, no money, no, don't know, don't know too many people yet. Um, and my, all my friends were excited about my journey coming to LA. So Margie goes out of town for a couple of days and she's like, okay, take care of the house, you know, make sure everything's, everything's settled. And I knew this day was coming. So I, like, what do I do at 22? I call my best friends, my fo- old, old guys from Duke. There's like four of them. I said, look, man, I got the house, got this Beverly Hills house with a pool and a Jag in the front. And, uh, so, you know, they come in, we have a ball. We, we know, don't, don't tear the house up. We have a great time. Don't break the car. Everybody's responsible. All those guys are professional yeah. now, successful. But the funny thing was about two weeks after Margie comes back, she goes, um, Charles, uh, we, did you, um, did you use my car while I was out? I was like, oh yeah, I, I just took it to get it washed. She says, yeah, because uh, my neighbor said there were five black dudes riding around in your Jag while you were gone. <laughs> <laughs> a boy's roll at that story, bro. Oh, yeah. What a time. What a time. What a time. What a, what a time. And I got to say, you know, uh, I could talk about this for hours, but yeah. we won't. It's just that it, it, we, if you, if you leave yourself alone and allow yourself to go on a journey and go in, into the unknown, mm-hmm. so many beautiful things happen. Uh, this friendship. You came to Mar- Michael's Bar Mitzvah. Oh, yeah. The connection was wonderful. And we would never have thought this would have been possible. And it, I believe it helped both of us uh, during that time. And since then, you, know, you have gone through such a journey in your personal life. Absolutely. And I bring this up now because so much of our conversation has to do with how you get through the obstacles that are thrown at you that 
And how do you accept life on life's terms? Right. So can you give us a little bit of the diagnosis and when yeah. it happened? Yeah. Okay. I mean, th- there, are, there are brave people who um, take, their cell, take themselves out of their comfort zone on a regular basis. The armed services, um, police department, the fire department. I mean, you know, um, people don't necessarily understand when they sign that piece of paper that they're going to be in a, a war or in a shootout and things like that. <clears throat> That's getting outside of your comfort zone, you know, but you signed up for that. And that's bravery. My, when I got stepped out of my comfort zone was when in 2010, um, up leading up to that between 2002 and 2010, as mentioned, um, my career did start to, to, to take off. There was a trajectory upwards where I was doing guest stars. I had five pages in, Italian, Men's Vogue, X, Y, and Z. And all of a sudden, you know, around 2009, early 2009, I was having some body pains and night sweats where I'd wake up and literally splash a puddle of water. And I, my mom's an orange. So I was calling back home and, you know, asking her, what do you think it is? What do you, you know, you're 29 years old. I, I didn't think to rush to the doctor or to, you know, that something could possibly really be wrong. And, um, Anyway, I, I started having a tremendous pain in my in my body, in my ribs. I couldn't sneeze for a month. And I, I was friends with my now wife for about a year before we started dating. And three months into our relationship, she noticed this change and she started seeing th- certain things. And my diet was changing and I wasn't eating as much and I was in pain. And one night she said, enough's enough. And about two o'clock in the morning, she took me to the emergency room at Cedars. And 15 hours later, you know, I was up in the oncology unit and, um, and eight days after that, they finally diagnosed me with, um, stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, you know, it was the, uh, <clears throat> getting the news in the emergency room was like this, you know, uh, the doctor pulls back the curtain. Uh, well, it looks like you have uh, lymphoma. What's that? Cancer. Am I going to die? I don't know. Leaves. Wow. First call I make, mom. Second call, best friend, William Hill. And, you know, and but from that moment on, once we went upstairs to the college unit, my mom walked through the door that few hours later from Florida, you know, um, <clears throat> it was just about, I told her I don't want to know anything except for if I can make it. And seeing those white coats coming in every day, four at a time, it's not this, it's not that. And we were literally holding our breath every time they walked through the door. And when they told us <clears throat> it was Hodgkin's lymphoma and even at stage four, that was still a possible cure. That's all I needed to know. That's all I needed to know. And we actually popped champagne in the hospital room that day. And, <clears throat> and I got my first dose of chemo that day. And it was, uh, and the fight was on, you know, and yep. here, we, here we are 12 years later and three relapses later, uh, I had a stem cell transplant. And uh, in 2011, where it was full body radiation twice a day for five days, that's like getting hit with a nuclear bomb, Um, extensive chemo. And uh, that put me into remission for about a year and a half. And then three years later, there was a a new drug that was immunotherapy that's now FDA approved. And that put me into remission until there was some side effects that took place. And then there was immunotherapy plus chemo. And uh, and that worked for some time until the effects got too much. And I just recently 
got uh, another um, transplant. I was on the waiting list for two and a half years because of COVID wow. for, another, for another trial called the CAR T-cell transplant. And that was in January. And in February, I was told for the first time in six years that I was in full remission. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I get I, I have chills, you know, yeah. it's such a story. But the, the story that's so incredible about it is uh, that you don't quit. Right. And that you you uh, do it with such positive focus, your lens of positiveness, your belief in yourself and the people you surround yourself with, the changing of who you have become because of it. And the fact that you have become a poet and written poetry because of this that has influenced your life. I would like to share with everybody, uh, so I want to talk about your mom, and the, the book that you wrote, and I read it, is called Get to Know, Unlocking the Essence in You. And uh, there's a poem in here that I'm going to read that you wrote mm -hmm. called Dedication. When times got rough, you were right there to see me get through. I would not be who I am if it was not for you. Without question or thought, you agreed to see the smile on my face was all that you need. Some greats I would like to add to this list, but you, to the top of my heart, would persist. The greatest of all time I have to proclaim, there is no doubt that is how you will remain. I promise to live as much as I can. I write this to you, Mum. Let the living begin. So beautiful, so beautiful. And you ended by saying, I want to read this little piece. I dedicate this first book of poems to the one who was the first to call me a poet. You inspire me to be me because you loved me for me. With that love you created, someone who thinks he can do it all. Thank you for teaching me how to live. I hope you enjoy the poems of how I am, where I am. A very, it's so touching, Charles. It's so mm. touching in so many ways as a, as a mom, as a one who also loved my mother so deeply, uh, as so many people who are listening who have these incredible relationship with their moms and how challenging it is to see them get older and change. Um, your mom has helped you climb the mountains, hasn't she? Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, you know, that, that poem says it all in, in so many ways because, again, it was you know, oh, you want to be an actor? Go for it. Be the best actor you can be. Oh, you want to do that? I mean, I'm talking about uh, a person, you know, they, they they say, people speak of unconditional love. And yeah. that she really exemplifies that with when it comes to me. Um, the, that's This is just one part of my journey of life that I proclaim that she is that with me. And, and she has given me the ability to just dream. Um, but, you know, this experience now as a parent, when parenting yeah. was at one point, you know, not even uh, thought to be possible. Um, yeah. You know, it's just to see what I was looking at as she was looking back at me in a hospital bed. Um, and her her steeliness, you know, she was able to not break and cry in front of me or um, 
uh, you know, she really was like, I, I mean, I told her I did not want to know what was going on, which meant she bared the 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 whole the burden of knowing exactly what the doctors were talking. Four years later, it didn't. It took four years for me to actually ask the doctor what my situation was, and they they were like, "Dude, you're about two weeks from gone." I was oh. riddled with tumors, tumors everywhere. My mom knew. Oh. Now that I find out, she was you know friends were telling me, "Yeah, your mom was in the hallway just breaking down, crying." I never saw her shed a tear, you know. And that that along with you know because I am you know like I said, I, there are other people that were in my life. My wife, Candace, obviously, uh, you know, we were dating three months before I got diagnosed. And I said, look, no one's going to be upset with you if we if you just end this relationship because we don't know how this is going to turn out. You don't need to go on this journey. And she never wavered. So, you know, of course, there were other people who I had in my circle that were um, supportive and, and, and helped me get through this and continue to do so. But as a parent, I'm realizing now what in her mind was on the line. Oh. You know, and and a bit like she was she was in that hospital bed. You know, she was going through the chemo and radiation, even though I was the one coming back, you know, and having side effects and such and such. But, you know, as a parent, you feel what your kids feel. And so that's why I dedicated that poem to her. And this book, you know, she I said that she was the first one to call me a poet. I the commencement speech at Rumsey Hall. And in that in that speech, I found one of the report cards from my uh eighth grade teacher and you know it's my English teacher and she talks about she says JR that's my nickname JR they they said she says JR is a wonderful poet and should share his poetry more and this that and the other thing and I and I and I went on to say that people prophesize over you you know people see things in you that you might not see it in yourself and when you have that everyone has something great inside of them but what I had was someone that was helping me unlock the essence in myself, you know, and, and that, and my diagnosis and my battle, you know, laying in the bed for 30 days and, and going through what I went through, I really got to look inside myself because there's nothing else that you're dealing with when you're, when you're dealing with a stage four diagnosis than surviving. And I like to say, instead of cancer survivor, I like to say cancer destroyer. And I was no longer, I no longer had model looks. I no longer was was running up Brunyan Canyon three times in a day. I no longer had abs and six packs. I had burns all over my face, no eyebrows, no eyelashes, no hair. I looked in the mirror. I thought I was a monster. So who am I without the look? Who am I without the shell? Who am I inside? And it was this, it was this battle. It was this battle that cut all the, the BS, the bullshit friends around me, there were quote unquote friends that said they were, they were gone when the parties were gone. My circle got so small and so tight and everything that I do now, I do with intentions of enjoying the process, whether it's hard or whether it's easy. If I'm not enjoying the people that I'm working with, I don't care what, what amount of money I can get from it. I just, just separated myself from a, from a business relationship the other day because I did not feel that these people were being honest and I could not take that journey with them in the hopes that it would eventually work out. I want to enjoy the journey along the way because we tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow's not promised. So every day is an important yeah. day. Well, you know, in my book, I talk a lot about being present, the chapter of being present. And this is all we have, this moment. Uh, I love I I love the there's the movie uh, the animation movie Soul 
Oh yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, right? Of course. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And the, and at, at the end, you know, he what well, I'm a doer, you're a doer. We like to do things, get things done. But in the end, he just put his hand down, a leaf came on his hand, and that moment of being present is what really matters in life. Absolutely. Because that's all we have. Absolutely. Now I wanted to talk a little bit before, you know, this comes to a closure. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh something that I, is in my book that pertains to you. Mm. Um, you came over to the house, mm. right, which was lovely. We had a chance mm. to spend some intimate time together. I and I loved it because you added yourself. Mm. And I wanna talk about this and share this because people don't understand how important it is to see the truth sometime. And you're willing to look at your truths now is really changing you. Absolutely. So one of the the, the 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 chapter that I'm talking about is chapter four, and it's called Does Your Armor Serve You? <laughs> and yeah. there is a piece in it, and I'm going to read just the beginning of it, called Mask of Anger. Mask mm -hmm. of Anger. Now, I know you can um, relate to this, Absolutely. so we'll talk about it at the, at, the, uh, uh, at the end. Anger is a healthy mask when you remove the smoke and fire of self-righteousness. It is unhealthy when it is dumped onto the listener. Often we want to make the other person feel as bad as we feel. Anger can wipe out any chance of connection if it comes from an immediate, reactive, poisonous place. The pain is so deep that instead of taking responsibility for our part, we resort to the blame game. It is just so much easier. But if we truly want happiness, then we need to risk being vulnerable and remove the steel, the steel protection. Do I want to win or do I want to communicate? And I know that when you were at the house, you had an incident with your mom that was so um, eye-opening um, and your behavior about that. Mm. And I'd like for you for us to talk a little bit about that, what you discovered and how, and how that helped you because there are people that deal with their uh, armor and don't understand what's underneath that armor, which doesn't no. serve you. I believe it's your first chapter that deals with fear, right? Yeah, yeah. control. Exactly, fear and control. Well, see, you know, one thing that I was um, trying to convince myself of when I was going through my battle was that I was actually had some some form of control. Well, if I ate this, if I walked this way, if I don't. You know, and and in narrowing my my sight on a on a quote unquote finish line, rather than listen to the chatter of uh, of percentages and you know negative uh, you know fear uh, from outsiders who weren't in the circle of strength and positivity, um, what I did was I I kind of put the armor on of I'm fearless. So therefore, I'm strong and courageous. And what I what happened was I got caught off guard and realized that because I made fear a negative thing and a thing that wasn't looked to in my mind as um, strong or brave or courageous. Because you know I I hear all the time, oh, you're the strongest person I know, or you know uh, you're such an inspiration. So I said, well, if, if I'm such a strong person, I'm such an inspiration, and I can't be scared of anything. Well. <laughs> Hell, I, I'll be honest with you right now. I was scared, and I tried to push that fear down and that anger. I mean, and that and that's and that's you know what, what the possibility of that I might not make it out of this thing down, and that 
became anger. And then when, when I found out, I didn't find out until recently what exactly that was until my mom got pneumonia. And, you know, at 74 years old, obviously on the, on the heels of this whole COVID scare of, of older, older folks, um, getting pneumonia and not making it out. Well, hell, even without COVID pneumonia is is dangerous. And I was scared and I was scared. And it wasn't until I was talking to Candace and I was telling her, I was like, Candace, um, I got mad at my mom. (laughs) I got kids. I don't know. Your kids, your kids. It's okay. Yeah. I I don't know if you guys, um, well, my mom got sick and I was telling Candace when she came over one day, she had bags, you know, she's always carrying bags. We joke around and we joke about that. She call her bag lady because that's been her thing. Always extra nurse, you know. She'll carry 50 band-aids and one time you might actually need it. And it's a great time that she has the band-aids, but 99% of the time you don't need it. And she walked up the stairs to my house right after being just cleared for pneumonia, like two or three weeks I hadn't seen her. And she's got like a 20-pound bag, a sack full of coins for the bus that she never takes. And I just went off and I was like, I was so angry. I said, you know, is there something wrong with your mind? Like, why would you actually carry a bag? X, Y, and Z. And really just off the handle with it. And then I went, I got in the car and I was driving to your house. And I yep. said, and I, when I pulled up to your parking lot at your house, I said, I called my mom and I apologized. And I called Candace and I told her, I said, I'm, I'm just, I was scared. And I was like, oh. I said, and I said it again. I said, I was scared. I'm scared yeah. that I was going to lose my mom. Yeah. And like, wow, man. I mean, yeah. my dad was in a, my dad was in a, in a home for dementia for three years before he passed. And I was never scared of losing him because I was getting, I was getting, I was having grieving, losing him as he was still alive because he was forgetting who I was. Yeah. So, but with my mom and pneumonia, it just seemed like it was all of a sudden. You know, there was no time to say goodbye. And then all of a sudden, you, as in life, I mean, how many times have we heard a story, people on their deathbed saying, man, I wish I had more time just to spend with my family. I wish I didn't work yeah. so I wish I, you know, all these thoughts started coming to my head. Like most people, when they get anxious or anxiety, you know, which is a word that I thought was weak as well, which upset yeah. me, it, they they clam up or they, you know, when, when I get anxious, anxious, I get angry. Yeah. Well, what I want to say to you, you were at my house and we were sitting there and it was an aha moment for you. Yeah. As I was talking to you about your anger covers up what you're really experiencing, which is in this chapter, that what's underneath all of that is fear. Exactly. And what's un- and vulnerability. And in order for you to have survived all these years, you used it to your benefit in many ways, this, this mask. Yes. And I'm going to get through it. I'm not going to look at my fear. I'm not going to look at it. That serves you really well to a point. What happens, though, is eventually it will get to you because you are because your fear is being controlled. Right. The, the point of it is, is that being open and being vulnerable is very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. So the other way that you have been looking at it all these years is, oh, no, fear and vulnerability is weak. Right. Has really changed you and made you a much more uh open person when you realize you know what it's okay to have these feelings in fact it's human and i am human yes and once i allow that to happen it doesn't become a mountain for me wow 
I clear. I mean, I can't tell you how true that is. And you know, it's funny because many times throughout this battle, I have said to myself out loud, and heard people say to me, you know, I am human. Like you're not a robot. You know, this is not something that you should be going through for this long without some type of fear or. And I was mad at one of my therapists because they were. She was always saying, "Oh well, you must be scared. You must be. You must be." You know, always the stuff that was bringing me into this world that I had not, that I've shielded myself from for so many years to get to where I was. And I was like, I'm not scared. <laughs> but mm-hmm. she was, she knew better. Just like, yeah. just because she studied human psychology, you know, there's no way you can go through this without being scared. Unless you're I not- think that the problem, Charles, is this, you know, I believe that fear can motivate you. Mm-hmm. It can bring it to beautiful levels. I don't, I think what happens is when people get stuck in their fear, and I talk about this in my book, that when you get stuck in your fear, you can either be in neutral or you can be an overachiever. Mm -hmm. But when you, um, or you can become a victim. Right. And you don't want to be a victim. That is very big for you. So victim is not the answer. You know, just because... You may feel fear doesn't mean you have to react to the fear. It's, you know, I have, I'm afraid, I'm, I am scared, but I also can make it into um, a, more of an observing mind rather than getting into a place where the fear takes over you and there's no room for joy right. or for growth. And so I think it's it's how we have been taught, especially men, I would think, you know, that Hey, you know, you've got to be strong and you've got to be in control and you've got to achieve. And then the other opposite, then the other is the opposite. It's not true. It isn't the opposite. The truth is that it's an ingredient that's part of human beings. The fear, vulnerability, being open is a part of us. Mm. It should be um, embraced. Yes, the layer. Yeah, that's true. Embraced (laughs) and um, admired and uh, accepted so that we can be a full round human being. I think that's what you learned, especially the day that you sat with me and talked about your mom. Absolutely, absolutely. Is Is there something, I know we talked about a lot about this and I think it's so helpful because what I really wanted everyone to understand is you, what you went through and yet you you did more than survive. Right. You learned uh, a great deal about yourself. Mm-hmm. Is there something specific you would like to share as we make closure that uh, helped you the most in this journey and that would help other people to also find that strength? You know, there is, but I didn't know this was what I was doing. Um, this might this might help to to bring some color to to, to my process. Um, on our uh, honeymoon, Candace and I went to Bali, and we were climbing uh, just a little canyon, quote unquote mountains type thing, and we got to this um, this uh, Hindu temple, and uh, we're walking around just looking at the beauty. I mean, monkeys are, and out of the you know out of nowhere, this uh, elderly monk. 
came over and he started talking to us. And of course, Candace took the opportunity to tell him about my what's what I'm going through. I mean, this this is literally a few months after my wedding in 2016. So I've already had, you know, two relapses or whatever. And uh, and he goes, you know, in short, uh, he goes, you know, you must love everything that is about your body. You, you talk to the tumors, you put your hand on your tumors and you say, I love you. I love you. Everything's going to be okay. Because when you fight it, when you fight what's going on, you know, how do you get stronger in the weight room? <clears throat> resistance. You know, the resistance makes things stronger. So in short, um, over the last few years, I've really taken a liking to stoicism and Marcus Aurelius and uh, Ryan Holiday has a great uh, few, a few great books that, you know, obstacles the way. All these things that, I've, that you know, you are what you eat. So I kind of use the, the term brainwashing loosely, but in reality, it's like if you want to be a great player uh, of a sport, then you should study the greats. You know, if you want to be a, a, a scientist, then you should, you know, be in the, the sciences and study the science books and listen to, you know, uh, Neil deGrasse and all. You know, you should be, you should, you should consume and be around what you want to be. And what I did was I, I, I put myself around positive people strong people who were successful in their fields and also in life. Um, uh, my energy was, uh, I brought in people who were healers themselves and you can't heal unless you've healed yourself. And that's why now I am a coach, uh, accountability coach and do the things that I do. But I, personally, my, my number one thing is I've never, from the day I got diagnosed in that, um, or from the day I was told that I had, it looked like I had uh, lymphoma in the, uh, in the um, emergency room. I never once said, why me? You know, mm. the, the stoicism say, love whatever happens, you know, and it's, yeah. uh, it's literally like the bad and the good. And I, I took that to heart before I even knew I was. And I said, you know what? It was interesting. I never thought I could leave Hollywood and not think about acting. Uh, the minute I came out here, the, after my first class, I remember coming, washing dishes at the sink and saying to myself, wow. I said, I said, universe, if you can, if there's one, if there's anything else that I would love more than, to, than this, than to do this, then show it to me because I can't imagine liking anything mm -hmm. else more than this. And I'm, and I'm telling you, it was this, at, at that moment, I just said, this is it. This is the way I'm going to do this thing. And that was it. That was it. I never, I never turned back, man. And I was open yeah. to anything that's come my way ever since. And, and that's how I became you know, a published writer, and that's how I'm producing now. I literally just got a letter from the PGA uh, yesterday. I just got a um, verified PGA um, producer credit on this feature film that I did. You know, for my oh, first one in the in the guild for a producer. So yeah, I mean, you know, things are things are ticking. You know, life goes on, and I'm gonna live it with my battle. I go in and out of the hospital, and the days that I have to go in, when I walk out, it's a great day. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes I used and to. And see people in wheelchairs blowing in a straw and I said wow yeah. I thought I had it bad yeah well you know how they say you put your troubles up you grab your bag really fast compared to others but I gotta say for you it's such a joy to have had you on oh. and for everybody I just want to say that there's some beautiful poetry look up Charles F. Porter because his first book was Get to Know, Unlocking the Essence in You. What are the other ones called? Uh, the next one is uh, Choose Your Path. And that's um, also available on Amazon. And then the third one is coming out uh, this Christmas. And it's called um, Enjoying the Journey. 
So you have which get it to all know. is about, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's all about that. I'm loving your book, and I'm 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 reading it uh, nightly. I was actually reading it to my two year old uh, last night. Um, you know, I'm just finding uh, little bits of goodness all along. I love how you have the um, the guests, quote unquote, guest speakers, and their and their stories, and how you got them through certain times. And really, man, it's just you, you have such a lust for life, and um, and you share that. And when you you know when you give people um uh gas as i like to say uh in the engine to just take one more step to go on one more audition to try one new thing uh you know and to just stop trying to put these masks up and just be who you are i mean why do we have such a hard time loving ourselves well not all of us had a mother like you and dorothy you know that says yeah, you are, right. that says you are enough you know um, yeah, and, yeah. and I love how you talk about, you know, the, the greatness in the mistakes, quote unquote, the mistakes. Oh, I didn't do it this way. But if you stay in the, if you stay in the story, in the slice of life, then, you know, or, or in your life, in your journey, whether you're acting or whether you're just living your life, if you stay within your life and stay present, you're going to realize that that mistake or that, you know, that, 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 um, adversity, uh, is building you, is growing you and you're learning lessons from that. And that's what I did. That's what I did with my, with my journey. Well, I love your journey and I love you. And love thank you, you so much for being on my podcast and for everybody. Fuck your comfort zone, everybody. I hope today's podcast inspires you to stay open, let go of control, be present, and above all, be kind to yourself. If you'd like to explore more of my philosophy in the studio, go to margiehaber.com. And if you want to purchase a copy of my book, Fuck Your Comfort Zone is available on Amazon. Stay tuned for our next episode.